This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, Ethan here. Since we're doing Silence of the Lambs, I thought I would sit down with one of the head development executives at McDonald's. This is Cynthia Taft. How's it going, Cynthia? Hi, ho. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So you guys have had the Jay Balvin meal, and you've had the Travis Scott meal, and you're about to release the Hannibal Lecter meal. Is that correct? That's correct. And what is included in this meal? Have you figured that out yet? I'm sure people are super excited. I'm not. I was hoping that I could come on the intro of this podcast episode to sort of get some ideas going. If people could just pitch. uh, I don't know if you have any Yeah, sure. Okay, how about this? Um, Butt burger. It's the meat from somebody's butt, fat or thin, and... Grilled to perfection with some onions and tomato. Wow, that sounds amazing. Okay, that's pretty good, right? That sounds really good. Okay, how about chicken fingers, but it's actual fingers? What do you think of that? So I'm just trying to brainstorm ideas. And human fingers? It's, that's up to you to pick, I guess. It really isn't. I really don't work at McDonald's. Excuse me? I, I really don't work at McDonald's. Um, I just sweep up here from time to time and I see you always recording Yeah, I come podcasts. to McDonald's to record all my podcasts. Yeah, I mean... It's hard to find a place to do that right now. It's COVID. Yeah, I mean, technically we're not even supposed to have dining, but I just thought... What so. about belly button sauce? Does that do anything for you? Here's $500,000. You have a deal. Bad science Did the movie get it right? Bad science Or will we have to fight? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, your host. This is the show where we break down a film with a scientist and a comedian, and today is no different. We're talking about 1991's Silence of the Lambs. I believe a few listeners have requested this, and I'm glad that you did. It was an absolute pleasure to rewatch this movie, and it has a quote in it that everybody, the most famous quote is when Dr. Lecter says, hello, Clarice, hello, Clarice. But that's never said in the movie. Dr. Lecter says, good evening, Clarice. So I thought that was exceptionally strange. You thought that Anyways, was the most memorable quote in the movie? Really? According to the internet, that is the most memorable quote from the movie. That's what people say to each other. And you might remember this voice. He's Dr. Brian Brown. He's a freaking legend. He was on our Alien episode, our Starship Troopers episode, and he's the head of Natural History Museum's entomology department and the curator of entomology. And I believe, have you still named more forids than any other human? A living human, probably. Okay, so, but dead people have an advantage over you? They do. They have lived longer than me, unfortunately. Okay, but you'll catch up to them? Are you like the LeBron of naming forids? In other words, like by the time you're done, you'll probably be the best? I will surpass everybody in my path. (laughs) Okay, that sounds really threatening. Our other guest is a very good friend of mine. He's an actor, writer, comedian. It's Zach Broussard. Hello. I have uh, terrible credits compared to Brian. I was uh, once, I once starred in an episode on CISO of a show <laughs> that I I, I, sh- I can tell you the name of it, but there's literally nowhere you could go find it. It doesn't exist. Anymore. Really? Yeah, they shut it. I can't watch it on YouTube or something? CISO at this point is like harder to find than Disney Vault <laughs> content. I know I tried to find a clip for my reel once and the director told me, I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Zach. No, you've been in a ton of stuff, Zach, that people can actually watch, though. You weren't just in a CISO show and then have been on a farm the rest of your life. I do spend most of my time on a farm, but when I'm not on the farm, I do a lot of bits on shows, a lot of late night shows. I'm regularly on uh, James Corden. You know, I, I do bits. Yes. I am a bit boy. You're a bit man, and I love you to bits, and I'm glad you're here to talk about Silence of the Lambs. Why don't we start with you, Zach? When did you first see this movie? What's your What's your take on it? Man, you know what's so... So I rewatched it yesterday just to get, you know, just to get hyphy for this episode, and I think I was struck by the realization that I think I maybe had only watched it when I was a kid and maybe only in parts, but I had mm-hmm. seen so many parodies of it that I just assumed I've seen it. You know what I mean? Like you Damn. just see, it's this like, is a, like my nightmare, by the way, it just seems like it's the movie that's been referenced the absolute most. I don't know. It's sort of like the basic instinct, like leg cross where I just like, I've seen so many versions of it that I assumed that I had seen the original. <laughs> Okay. So yesterday I rewatched the movie and uh, I absolutely loved it. I I clearly had seen it when I was young, but I was like, as an adult man, thought it was so, Mm -hmm. so good. And not just the murder parts, (laughs) the acting. The whole thing is fantastic. Everybody in it is fantastic, but I'm not a doctor. Dr. Brian Brown is. What do you think, Brian? Well, obviously it's a great movie, but one thing that has not held up is the soundtrack. I mean, I noticed that as soon as it started, it sounded super dated. Yeah, but in a cool way, like it's totally in the same, for me at least, in the Twin Peaks, early 90s, late 80s vibe that I just like. I, I got into it immediately. As soon as the opening credits came, which I didn't remember at all, I was like, yep, this is already perfect for me. I will say that last that last song, the Goodbye Horses song that plays when Buffalo Bob is dancing, I was just sort of like obsessed with it that's uh, if that that one song did hold up very well i found but also you know it was a cultural milestone in terms of things that came after it like you said something like the x files obviously was based in large part on the look and feel of that intro i think yes and maybe even the, the characters in the x file you know the FBI people and so on. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved the FBI stuff. I thought that was also captivating from the jump. Apparently, they were somewhat involved in like consulting for the movie. So I guess that added like a level of reality to it, maybe. I actually found out because I was curious what the physical requirements are to get into the FBI because she's like training in the intro sequence. Right. You know, she's like running and climbing uh, nets and stuff like that. Do you guys want to know if you can make it into the FBI? Yeah, let's go through it. I definitely can't. <laughs> Just giving up already? <laughs> yeah. So, okay, physical requirements for the FBI. You need to score 12 or more points, and I have here the minimum requirement to get one point in each one of these things, okay? okay? So, like, sit-ups, for example, you need to do 38 or more sit-ups in a minute, and that's one point. So, if you do more, there's, like, categories, two points, three points, you get it. Push-ups, you have to do 30 or more, and there's no time limit. You guys think you can do 30 push-ups? Yeah. We can do that. We you can, can do both that. do that. Easy. Yeah, we can yeah. do that. Great. Okay. So far, so good. You need to do a 300-meter sprint in 52 seconds or less. Not sure. What is a meter? Brian, <laughs> <laughs> you might be able to help me out with this one. Almost like a yard. Okay. Oh, almost a yard. Yeah. 3.3-ish. Yeah. Okay. You have to have a timed 1.5-mile run. It has to be 12.24 or less. 
can you run a mile and a half in 12 and a half minutes? That's uh, pretty fast, right? <laughs> That's like, I mean, you have to yeah. keep an eight minute mile pace the whole time. That's kind Correct. of, uh, I mean, I just wanted to show off for Brian that I can do some basic math on the fly. <laughs> yeah, because you fucked it up last yeah. time. With yeah, the meter thing. I really did. <laughs> Uh, I, I could maybe, I'm not there yet, but I feel like that's possible if I had it as a goal. Brian? I have no idea. I haven't tried to run a mile since I was in high school, I don't think. I'd have to do it in Crocs because you know I don't take off my Crocs. (laughs) And so that, it just gets challenging. I forgot your lifelong sponsorship with Crocs. (laughs) That's right. And and they have like not asked me to do it. I'm just such a fan of the brand that I. I (laughs) Great for running great for running and they're like that's not our thing that's not our thing and you're like it will be you need to get that demographic athletes (laughs) okay and then the only other thing is if you are trying to join the tactical recruitment program then you need to do pull-ups and you have to just do two or more pull-ups yeah i can do that boom i love that i don't know if i could do it i feel like that's the one that's gonna kill me but again i if i really set my mind to it I think I could do it. Okay, well, for the two of you, once this podcast is done, let me know. Do try it out. Let me know <laughs> I, if you can make it into I the I have FBI. a follow-up, though. It's like, are you excluded if you smoke, have smoked weed in your life? I think that's a thing, right? There's no way they can test if you've smoked weed in your whole life. They well, can test if you've done it recently. But they could test if you're telling the truth. They're the freaking FBI. Ooh, fucking great call. <laughs> I mean, dude, there's no way you would get into the FBI or me just because of like comedy stuff. Like, I doubt people yeah. come to the FBI and they're like, oh, I've done a lot of bits before. Yeah. I would love to join your crew. It feels good knowing that I'm, I'm just like not the type of comedian that has like super messed up videos that I've done in my past. But yeah, I do feel for comedians because like who get sort of outed in that way because I just don't remember what I did. I could there's oh, videos that I did like a year and a half ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I did show up to this guy's like weird apartment and shoot a sketch that I just right. uh, for $25. <laughs> yep, I've done that too. A guy took out a live chicken. I was there with my girlfriend. We both were terrified. Oh, that's it intense. Was part of the sketch. And it was like, well, he's clearly not an animal wrangler, so anything could happen here. You're going to get canceled for that for sure, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's getting right okay. up in the silence of the lambs territory. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Um, Okay, so wait, before we dive into the movie and, of course, the moth that is in this woman's throat, I mean, that's the big thing I need to talk to you about, Brian. I have a lot of questions about this skull moth, but... I wanted to touch on the fact that this movie is like like feminist movie. I want to say that it's mostly men in this movie, but did you guys get the sense watching this that the director was trying to just put us in the perspective of not only a woman, but a woman who is like constantly being hit on and glared at by men. There's like long shots of several men just staring into the camera. So many. Just that opening shot of her and she gets called into the like chief's office and she's just yeah. like walking through Quantico. It is just like shot after shot of just like the same like cookie cutter white guy just turning mm-hmm. and looking. It was very, I, right. It was really fun. Yeah. The only cool man in the thing was the guy down in the uh, prison cell. Bar- Barney. Is that his name? Yeah, Barney. Yes. Barney Rex. Yes. Barney was very cool. Yeah. Barney was helpful. Even at the very end when Crawford was at her uh, at her graduation. You could tell there he wanted to give her a big wet kiss, but mm-hmm. settled for the handshake, you know? Uh-huh. And it was such a, I thought that was a really brilliant, like, wrap-up 
because it just proved that Han- Hannibal Lecter was correct <laughs> in his reading at the beginning. Totally. Oof. Yeah. yeah. And they both, but I will say they both had this weird physical touch close up moment with Clarice. Like when Hannibal Lecter gives her her case file, she like runs back and gets the case file through the bars. There's this super close up of him like grazing her thumb with his thumb. And then at the end, like you're saying, Brian, she has a handshake with her boss and it's it's a very similar mm. like close up of like a detailed hands touching you know yeah like i don't know to me it was tying up like all these guys are dicks all these dudes are the worst no matter if they're the head of the fbi or this crazy psychopath person and who could say who's worse out of those guys you know no way to say there's no way to say well the worst was chilton right yeah i think hands down that guy that's again it's really fun it's my favorite character in a movie who you just are like well i hope this guy dies sooner than later (laughs) yeah i hope he gets eaten by a t-rex yeah yeah well that's not including buffalo bill who is pretty much without debate the worst one right no i think chilton was more horrifying than buffalo bill actually oh i do i almost could say that yeah because at least buffalo buffalo bill is uh just like actually twisted like you know you feel bad for his like mental health there's some like sympathy there with chilton you're like this guy's like actively a turd yes great call so let's let's dive in here okay how to describe this a woman is found in a river i believe clarice notices she has something in her mouth because there's like black marks on her tongue and they take out this cocoon yeah that's what the um the coroner guy calls it or I'm not sure he was the coroner because he was playing the organ at the funeral as well. The same actor, right? Oh, my God. Are you serious? Maybe you have more than one job when you live in a small town like that. But Ooh, okay. I like he, that. He was Makes the one sense. that unzipped the bag, the body bag, mm-hmm. and tore off the top with such a flare. And then he said that, you know, sometimes when a body's in the water, leaves and debris and stuff gets stuck down there, mm-hmm. right? And then they pull out this pupa and he says... That's a bug cocoon, which was one entomological thing that was wrong. But Okay, first mistake. Maybe it's not a mistake because that's what maybe somebody who's not an entomologist would call it, right? Okay, yes. So what they pull out is a pupa, which is one stage in the life cycle of insects. And these types of insects, like butterflies and moths, have what we call complete metamorphosis. They go through an egg stage, a larva stage, a pupa stage, and an adult stage. And they're all very different, those stages. Okay. So what he pulled out was a pupa. Now, a cocoon is what some insects make around a pupa to protect it, the, most famously with silk, like in the silk moths. Whoa. So so what we saw was a pupa, or yeah. was it the cocoon covering the pupa? We saw the pupa. The cocoon wow. would look like um, it would be furry, as if it was covered in oh. some kind of yarn or fibers or something. And is that the only reason they make that? I mean, it's a great reason. I'm just curious if there's another, you know, evolutionary survival reason they make that silk, or is it just for that moment in their life cycle? Yes, to protect protect the pupa and to keep out parasites and hide it, does all those sorts of things. Wow, that's cool. So does that mean that they would have made the cocoon sometime after? Like, because I assume, you know, the pupa comes first and they're like, oh, let's protect this thing. Or do sometimes they just don't even even make a cocoon and they go pupa to butterfly. That's exactly right. Some have cocoons and some don't. So those sphinx moths, those death's head moths, or all sphinx moths, do not produce cocoons. Oh, why is that? Isn't that dangerous? They 
generally have their pupae under the ground. So that's how they hide. Okay. So does that mean that it makes sense that they would have gone into this dead woman's mouth? No. Thinking it's... No, still doesn't work. No, somebody had to put it there. Like, could it still become a butterfly once it's placed in there? Or is it sort of like a... Yeah, it was probably drowned. Like they said, when they got it to the lab, one of the entomologists said, oh, it's all mushy, right? So which means it's decayed to some extent. I see. Mm. And well, first of all, I guess the most important question is, has any law enforcement ever brought you a bug as part of an investigation? Because you're kind of the guy. Well, for certain types of insects, I'm the... I'm the guy. And yeah, I've gotten flies. I work on flies. So I've gotten some flies from cases um, where they're trying to just to figure out where the body was first laid. You know, bodies, sometimes they get moved after the crime takes place. And certain insects have to have direct access to the body where others can sneak in through cracks or whatever in houses or cars. Whoa. I mean, it just sounds fascinating to me that they would be able to even tell that a body was moved from a fly or from your findings of a fly. Do you cut it open like they showed in the movie? How does that work? No, they just brought me the flies. So for instance, if you put a body out and people do studies like this all the time, there's even areas where they have set off reserves where they put out bodies to see what kind of flies come in and how they decompose to study the process. Um, If you put a a body out, certain flies will come in very quickly, like the blow flies and the flesh flies, the things you see around garbage cans. Okay. And um, they'll lay their eggs and the maggots will start feeding. And those maggots are so uh, vigorous and so voracious, they'll just eat up everything before anything else can get in there and get started. But if you take a body and you put it in the trunk of a car so those big flies can't get in there, then smaller flies will go in and they'll have a chance to feed on. So that's the sort of information that we were able to get from this case. But like you found the evidence, quote unquote, of this body in a fly's stomach or I mean, how the DNA from its mouth, how does that work? No, it's just the type of flies that were on the body. Oh, oh, at the time. Yeah. It was discovered. Got it. Jesus Christ. Zach, are you freaking out about this? I'm losing my mind over here. Well, I keep thinking about how everything Brian's talking about is just gets cooler and cooler. And it's hard. <laughs> it's harder to stack up my CISO credits to where it even looks even remotely as cool as what like I've never been contacted by the police. Uh, <laughs> well, remember, Zach, it's not a competition. I know, but they rarely are they like, uh, we found a body. Uh, where can we find Thing Starter on CISO? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that usually doesn't follow pretty much anything. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, yeah, that's uh, that's really, really interesting. And I guess uh, it, it's always helpful to know things about murders. I don't plan on ever committing one, but I feel like it's not a bad thing to, uh, you know, collect your knowledge on if you're ever in a pinch. Sure. So <laughs> are you saying, is the knowledge here to spray some sort of bug spray on a body before putting it in the trunk so I that guess there's what, no fly? I guess what I'm always struck by, and I, I, I'm sure people get away with murder all the time, I'm guessing, but it seems oh, yeah. like uh, there's a lot of ways to get caught. It just seems like, yeah. no, you have to be really a smart Nowadays. guy. It just seems like smart guys aren't really the guys doing murders most of the time. They're doing like embezzlements. And I mm-hmm. feel like, uh, you Fraud. know, dumb guys are killing and, it you know, they're the ones who are going to get caught. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah, I, that is a really broad stroke opinion. But <laughs> is that my opinion is that smart guys don't commit murder. 
Yeah, for the most part, they don't. They've ruined murders now. You know, it's just so hard to get away with murders now. It's so annoying. It would DNA is annoying. And- I feel like we're like uh, like a hundred years ago. You basically would just guess and point at a guy, totally. and then that that guy would get kind of hung. <laughs> And then you'd move yep. on. Yeah, well, you could. You wouldn't even think about it anymore because, like, well, what's the point? That guy's hung. But I wonder Again. how much of it is just the usual suspects. You know, like you've got a criminal background, so that you're more likely to do it. Whereas your average guy, like you or me, might not even f- show up on anybody's screen. Yeah, that's really fucked up. And that is probably how it still works. Like, and that's why that's people, why you really need that. You need to get that minority report, like pre precog situation, <laughs> where you know what people are thinking, and then. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way you're going to stop a guy like, you know, like Brian. And I'm not saying that Brian's going to commit a murder, but he's just he's not showing up on their system. Yeah, we'll get there. We're close to Minority Report, I think. Um, <laughs> it's another one of my favorite movies. I love oh, it. Minority Report rules. I don't know if we've done it on here or not. I'll check on that. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Brian, I was curious about when the entomologist came onto the screen, I thought you might have a fun take on that because that's your world. That is the part of the movie that drives me the craziest is the depiction of the entomologist. <laughs> Why are the entomologists the Coke bottle glasses and the cross eyes and the buck teeth? You get yeah, bug guys. Bugs are weird. <laughs> bugs are weird. Well, <laughs> how, about, um, movie. how about the depiction of paleontologists in movies? They're the strapping. They're the coolest. Indiana Jones type guys, right? Totally. They're the best for some reason. Right. I will say the entomologists in the movie might be the only men depicted as decent guys. And they basically, the guy who hits on Clarice, he just like asks her out in a totally... He also uh, cops to it. And then they show them at the very end. They're all just hanging out, friends. Uh, Clearly, this guy got shot down. He's not taking it bad. Friend zone, yeah. He's got friend zone, but it's not toxic. I think there's a lot to learn from these guys. They're the heroes. (laughs) But the other one is so desperate for female companionship that he wants to get his picture taken with Clarice's classmate. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's actually true. Wow, good call. And, you know, that whole bit with playing chess with live beetles and stuff. I mean, I was going to ask about that. Oh, yeah. How would that work? That doesn't really make any sense. Why would you guys do that? Why would you and all your friends do that, Brian? Yeah, exactly. We I wouldn't. was legitimately asking. I just figured you had done that at some point. Yeah, it's just ridiculous how entomologists are portrayed. And if you go back to Them, you know that movie about the giant radioactive ants? Them. Oh, yeah. Hold on. That sounds familiar. Oh, you know it. I don't know. Anyway, the entomologist was kind of a Indiana Jones type guy in that movie. But somehow we've we've lost that. Now, an entomologist in any movie has to be a total freak. <laughs> and so I get people from Hollywood contacting me occasionally. And they want to come in and see what an entomologist's office is like, see what an entomologist's day is like, because they want to portray them in the movies. And so I, I've done this a few times, and they invariably say, no, you're too normal. You're too normal? <laughs> right. They want somebody with the, the buck teeth and the cross eyes. Playing chess with live beetles, I guess. Oh, God. What about Ant-Man? That's kind of a cool um, promotion for entomologists, sort of, no? He's not an entomologist, so he's just transformed into a small small person, right? Yeah, he's just small. He's just a small guy. (laughs) Ah, fuck. I was just hoping for some sort of bright side to it. You know, I guess there's the upside is that people in Hollywood aren't coming to your office and going, Hey, you're a freak. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's exactly, what you're exactly for. what we're looking for. A crazy freak. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're kind of complimenting you by not putting you yeah. on display as a freak. And then they, uh, there's a couple of things that they say that just drive me crazy. Like they've got that pupa and they've got it under the scope. And he says, let's try morphology. Like that's some advanced scientific procedure. You might as well just say, let's look with our eyes. <laughs> Is that what he means? Is he's just saying like, let me switch to vision mode and just yes. base my thoughts on what I'm looking at? <laughs> exactly. Whoa. What was he doing before? Who knows? Yikes. Would you recognize the pupa that it was this Acherontia sticks type of moth just by the pupa? Or would you have to like do what he does, like weirdly cut it open and see this like crazy juice mucus come out and be like, oh, yeah, it's this skull moth. I would recognize it as a sphinx moth, something in that family. But if I cut it open and saw that death's head mark on it, then, yeah, I could recognize that. Now, can you describe this death head mark? Because that sounds crazy. It just looks like a skull when you, you know, it's on the movie poster. It's just a, an artifact of the human brain to make it look like a skull, you know? It's just coincidence. They're not trying to look like skulls, the markings on the back of the moth or anything like that. Right. They're just, you know, they're just night active insects. So kind of surprising to me that they even have something as complicated as that kind of pattern. Mm -hmm. But probably it helps with camouflage, like most insect markings. Well, I got to say, I looked up the pattern. You're talking about the death's head. And if you look closer, I think the part of the reason it looks so weird and freaky is because it's not part of the moth. It's part of Salvador Dali's Involuptus Mors, which is a picture of seven naked women made to look like a human skull. Did you guys know that? Whoa. In the look, poster? Yeah. If you look closer at the poster, that part that looks like a skull on the moth is actually seven naked women that Salvador Dali put together. Okay. Well, I can assure you that specimens of the moths in the uh, collection at the Natural History Museum are not marked with Salvador Dali's paintings of naked women. <laughs> Okay, I gotta tell to you, <laughs> I gotta tell you, I'm looking at these uh, this image of the seven naked women, and it's very cool. And I did not know that that's what it was. It's yeah, I trippy. didn't know that either. Zoomed into it, and I was like, oh my god, that is really wild stuff. No, I'm gonna have to look. You got everybody's got to look. And then while we're on these like fun facts, I do also want to say that there's a scene where the, actually the same scene you're talking about, Brian, where they're looking at the corpse and. The FBI guys put this like white stuff under their nose. Yeah. I was very confused by that. I didn't know. I was like, oh, it's definitely like to help the smell. But what is it? It's Vicks Vapor Rub. Yeah, it's, it struck me as clearly like a Vicks Vapor Rub situation. Well, smarter than me. So already proving yourself to Brian. It was kind of white for <laughs> Vicks Vapor Rub, wasn't it? I looked it up and that's what it said that it was. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But the fact that it was white and that they had it in this little kind of cream jar, like I cream type jar. I was like, well, what the fuck is this? Is this some weird thing that the only FBI knows about? But like, no, you can get it at Walmart or Walgreens probably. Every grandpa you knew knew about it for a hundred yeah. <laughs> As your grandpa, and then it's like you're in Silence of the Lambs. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is pretty good if you don't want to smell a dead body. <laughs> I didn't know if Clarice not looking at the body at first was part of the uh, feminism thing or not, or mm -hmm. against the feminism thing, because Crawford said, you know, you can look, Clarice, it's okay. 
But based on everything else we had seen about her character in the movie, you would think she'd be right in there right away. I think that actually this was kind of cool that there are moments like that. Like there's another moment that reminds me of where she's in training and she basically just screws up and she doesn't check a corner. And, you know, he's like, oh, you would have been dead. You got to check that corner. And I think it's to almost humanize her to make her, you know, because it would have been maybe too cliche if she was like over the top brilliant protege FBI woman. But it's yeah. like, no, she has, you know, demons in her past that she's getting over. And she has like, I don't know, just faults that we can all kind of relate with. So um, I thought that was one of those moments where it's like, yeah, you know, she's a freaking FBI cadet. And she has to look at this dead body that clearly smells awful. So yeah, it just makes sense to me, I guess. And the other hand, just before then, they had that scene with the folksy woman's touch for getting rid of all the deputies in the uh in the room yeah. <laughs> what did she say <laughs> go on now that's what she says yeah. we'll take care of her we'll take care of her from here just, just go on now get <laughs> like, get look at her all weird and like okay i guess she's right uh, uh, um okay so i wanted to just know about this moth in particular um yeah. or or sticks i, I don't know I, I, the right way to call it because it has several names right yeah just call it the death's head sphinx moth oh okay i'll just call it the death's head <laughs> sphinx moth <laughs> So they're found, which I think they mentioned in the movie, right, in Asia. Um, right. So you have to like grow them here. It says that like, oh, somebody loved this and fed them honey and nightshade. So is that true or are they here? And how difficult is it to raise them here if that's the case? Oh, there's hundreds of species of sphinx moths that are native to North America, but not that one. So someone would have had to have brought the host plant, which... I looked it up too because I don't know. And it was nightshades, like they mentioned in the in the movie. But nightshades are things like tomato, eggplant, and so on. And um, yeah, someone would have to raise them. There's a huge industry in providing hobbyists with um, caterpillars for various types of moths and butterflies that people like to rear. Hmm. And so people do that all the time. Is it a difficult task to upkeep this plant slash moth terrarium? And also, is it just because they are interesting, unique, beautiful creatures? I mean, I can't imagine they make very good pets. Yeah, you can't do much with them. But a lot of people will rear them so that they can rear adults and then they kill them and they pres preserve them as specimens, which they can then sell. There's a huge trade in insect specimens. And the things with thing with butterflies and moths is that if you catch them in the wild, they're off, often their wings are tattered up and, you know, the scales are knocked off and so on, just out of the day-to-day -day, um, battering they take. Whereas if you rear them in, a, in your house, you get them just perfect so they don't have the chance to go out and mess themselves up. So that's what most of this trade is for. Are you cool with that? That's or really interesting. This, yeah, is this like a black market thing that you're advising against? Or are you like, oh, no, this is fine and they have a fine life just living in your house and that's cool. Well, I think our our level of concern for insects is a lot lower than that for other animals. So, you know, I don't really care that much about it. I'm not interested in it. But the thing that concerns me is uh, people who breed exotic insects and then let them go, because that can allow the exotic species to get a foothold in North America or other places and can cause all kinds of problems environmentally. Yeah, it seems like the, the whole act of breeding and it's sort of any sort of like foreign plant animal insect is very short-sighted <laughs> and it's about yes. some kind of like quick cash turnaround and i feel like if anything the state of florida warns us against all of these things yeah, yeah but totally. you know the uh, 
The Sphinx moths are kind of a red herring in, entomologically in this movie, because the reason that you would be interested in moths as a person who sews clothes is because of silk, right? Silk okay. moths. But obviously those are moths that make cocoons. So you need the cocoon. The, the cocoon is where the silk it's, comes from. So you would need cocoon-making moths to make your own silk if that's what he was doing. Well... Hmm. All I would say is that I don't know if he's uh, if he's actually into that, if he's actually into selling them and stuff, because it seems like he just wants them around. Yeah, he's. There was one shot in the in the movie where they had a cage full of silk moths, mm-hmm. and those are the ones that, like I said, produce the silk that would be of interest to somebody who's into clothes and sewing, like this guy supposedly was. But the uh, the sphinx moths are just a red herring in terms of this of the silk. But in terms of transformation, that's the uh, metaphor that they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But any moth could do that. He's okay. apparently got silk moths in there. There's one, like I said, one shot where there's huge silk moths. And then he's got these um, sphinx moths flying around loose in his, in his house just so he can get caught, apparently. It's not the sort of thing that they would necessarily want as a clothing maker to to be there. Not that they eat moth, uh, clothes, but just that they're not of any use except for the transformation part. Is that specific to death moth, that they don't make cocoons? No, all of the uh, sphinx moths are like that. So that's one family of, of moths. Many moths make cocoons, but not all of them do. And when you have butterflies making pupae, they're called chrysalises, as Anthony Hopkins said in the movie. Right said the chrysalis or pupa in a very distinct <laughs> voice. Pupa. And are you concerned or, you know, offended at all that pupae is kind of the perfect mix of poopy and peepy? <laughs> uh, I'll just say something that they said in the movie. Ignore him. He's not a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is perfect. Perfect response. That's great. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay, so I saw an article. This, If you thought that last question was stupid. I saw an article about a moth that can kill humans and is a cause of climate change. But I couldn't read the article because it was asking me to subscribe to The Telegraph, which I did not do. <laughs> So, so I only saw the headline. So Is that accurate? I know that the caterpillars of some moths can kill humans because they have stinging hairs that are full of toxins. If you brush up against them, you can definitely be killed. Um, those are found in South America in tropical rainforests. But um, adult moths, I don't know. It may exist. You know, it's a big world, but I don't know of any that do that. Oh, okay. So in general, I should not panic when there's a moth around. They can't do anything to me. Definitely. Although it's a funny phobia, you know, there are Thank you. more than a few people who are definitely afraid of moths. I mean, it's pretty much anything that flies and oh. it's, you know, the bigger, the worse, I would say. I mean, if a bird comes too close to me, same deal. Like I'm going to freak out. Have you seen the murder hornet uh, report? Yes, I have. Those are truly terrifying creatures that we don't want to get established here. Do we have a handle on that? What's the murder hornet update? Yeah, this might be the most legit uh, murder hornet news. We'll yeah, get. straight from they, the source. They actually found a, a colony in Washington. They had found a, a few stray workers, but they actually found the colony tree and 
they went in there with their spacesuits and uh, sucked them out with a giant um, vacuum cleaner, killed them. Hopefully, so we're there's, good. There's only one colony, but we'll see. Okay, so as of now, we've cleared them out until further notice. Correct. What is the murder hornet doing that's so bad? Well, you know what yellow jackets are like, right? Oh, yeah. I've been stung by one. So imagine something about three times the size of a yellow jacket Mm -hmm. and getting stung by something like that or even seeing it flying around menacing you. So that to me is the most horrifying part. But what people are really concerned about is honeybee colonies because in Asia, these things are known to go into bee colonies and just wail away, you know, kill all the workers. Like a, a colony of, of murder hornets will, hornets will go in and wipe out a honeybee hive and steal their brood, their immature stages, their larvae and pupa. Poopy. Right. So I didn't say it. You'll notice that time, yeah. Brian, because I'm a professional. Yeah, I feel like as the com- comic guest, I just have to constantly say poopy when you say pupa. Oh. I wish you did that the whole episode. I know. I feel like uh, I'll say it a couple times here and you could just intersplice it in previously. Perfect. So, poopy, so yeah. poopy, poopy, <laughs> poopy, 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 pee pee, maybe a little pissless. <laughs> That's just you don't have to use that one. Thank you. Okay. Our editor will be fascinated. So pupae are really one of the wonders of the insect world or complete metamorphosis because basically a larva goes and it spins a cocoon or it just sheds its skin to a pupa. And inside, everything turns into just a milkshake. Basically, it breaks down all its tissues and reorganizes them over a period of a few days to a few weeks into the structures of the adults. So you go from something like a caterpillar to something like a moth using using all the same cells. They've just been reprogrammed. Wow, that is wild. Why can't we do anything like that? We kind of stay the same form our whole lives, boring. Right, because we're not insects, I guess. Oh, that sucks. That sucks. Yeah, I would, it sucks. <laughs> I, that totally sucks balls, Brian. I would love to sit in a like cozy little pupa and then come know, out with wings like, or something. Duh. I feel like I can take down my sleeping bag right now, fully zip myself in for a couple days. And I guess you need to get a milkshake in there. You pour in some milkshakes. You're yeah, kind of moving you, around. Honestly, You're this sounds hot. awesome. I think, this sounds like camping. Yeah, you need you need to get hot. I'd imagine you need heat of some sort. <laughs> heat not, always again, changes stuff. Yes, I'm the CISO guy, not the science guy. Heat would heat things up. That's kind of my thought. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> and so I think I would just sort of hang in there until I feel the milkshake kind of cooling off. <laughs> I guess at some point I can't maintain that heat, and then I just unzip. And I'd emerge like a, uh, well, just like a beautiful milkshake man. Yeah. Or even if, even if you were a little bit taller, it would be a successful transformation. I guess, yeah. It's so funny. I used to love the movie Gattaca. Sure. And I used to love that it's like, man, they just broke his legs and made him like a few inches taller. <laughs> Had to do it. I think that's so cool. And these, these moths are really changing the whole game. They really, they're moving the goalposts. They go through their own Gattaca. Um, yeah, I, uh, I wanted to also mention really quick that there's a cop in this movie who says three hots and a cot. Uh-huh. You guys knew what that meant? Three hot meals and a Yeah, bed. I guess that's like a that's like a prison thing, right? Yes, exactly. Brian nailed it. I didn't know what it meant. I had to look it up. So if you were curious watching the movie, yeah, it's three hot meals and a cot to sleep on. That's what you get in prison. Now, what I thought was the most famous line from the movie was, I ate them with uh, some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> yes. That's definitely the one that I remember yeah. the most. But I don't know. When people think of the movie, they, they go, hello, Gladys, to each other. 
it's good to see you again. <laughs> I think that's so funny. I mean, the the final line of him saying, I'm having a friend for dinner. So is good. So funny. That line made me laugh. And I also laughed. So I laughed a little bit at Buffalo Bill when he kidnaps this woman mm-hmm. at the central part of the movie he guesses that she's a size 14 nails it yeah which i think is like what a specific skill trait carnival barker like guessing weights yeah like Like born identity level (laughs) that guy could go do something with that that guy could work at a top boutique fashion boutique (laughs) yeah you're a 14 come with me i'm surprised (laughs) he didn't say let's use morphology I might I might incorporate Great. that before I sit down to write every day. Hmm. Let's l- use the more let's use morphology. It's time, for, time for a little morphology. Okay, guys, we're running out of time here, but I thank you both. I could talk to you forever. I hope that we do the sequel for this movie. I don't I haven't seen it in a long time, or maybe haven't seen it. It was Red Dragon with again Anthony Hopkins, but this time Edward Norton. So Brian, does that have still some moth stuff? Is there entomology in there? <laughs> there is not. You know, there was a another version hmm. with done by Michael Mann called Manhunter. Okay. And um so it's got great music in it. You know, he was the Sweet. guy that did Miami Vice and Yeah, and Heat. And uh, Collateral, if you like that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Love Collateral. So call. I recommend Manhunter over Red Dragon. Is there entomology in that? There is not, sadly. Very good. Well, then I think we got to get this crew back together and do a Bug's Life. <laughs> we got to do it. Yeah. I think <laughs> we've already done a Bug's Life, actually. But maybe we could do oh, them. Dang. What about that movie you mentioned from 54? Them? Them. I don't know if I can oh, sit yeah. through them again, but I could try. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm not going to make you. It does have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it seems like it would just be an awesome experience. So, Brian, how can people get in touch with you? I'm sure you want them emailing you, asking about moths that they're seeing and stuff like that. I I just assume the Natural History Museum is, like, not open to people. Maybe I'm wrong. The Natural History Museum is not quite open yet. We're waiting for the county's classification of COVID recovery to go up to a certain level, and then we can start having people come to the museum. I believe the gardens are open, the outdoor part of the museum, but not the actual exhibits inside. Okay. Everybody needs to wear their masks so we can get back to business. Great promo right there. Wear your mask. Don't be a jerk. Do you? Are you on Twitch? Do you want people to follow you on Twitch? Uh, geez, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get a bunch <laughs> of questions about this bug I found in my closet. We talked okay, about, what about illusory parasitosis, right? Before. Did we? Delusory parasitosis is a, a condition where people feel like they're being infested by insects. Holy crap. And no, um, I don't remember that. It can be quite serious. Yeah. And I'm ground zero for this. So I try to avoid at all costs any reports of that kind of weirdness. What about what about me personally, though? Like I just moved into a new place. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to find something here I haven't seen before. Can I reach out to you asking, what is this? Should I be afraid? Sure you can. Okay, thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. So everybody get in touch with me for your bug questions. There you go. I will ask Brian. And now if you have any questions for Ethan, reach out to me. That's Zach, Zach Broussard. <laughs> on Twitter, at Zach Broussard. On Instagram, at Zach Broussard. And I honestly, I'm really, it's a... It's sort of just like a hub for all of your Ethan questions. Yeah, that's Any right. concerns, uh, feedback. And uh, your email is Zach Broussard, the CISO guy at <laughs> yeah, CISO. At CISO, 
at CISO.quibi. <laughs> and so look Great. me up. Somehow it was available. All of these all of these domains recently got really opened up and I just jumped on it. Nice. The domain I wanted was flyobsession.com and that was actually taken by the fly fisherman. So I had to go to oh, oh, man. I had to go Idiots. to flyobsession.net. So if you want to learn more about flies, feel free to check out my website. Great. I love that. Flyobsession.net, guys. Go there right now. Whatever you're doing is <laughs> not as important. Brian, you could catch him with a net. I like that a lot more. Yeah, it yep. turned out well, didn't it? Yeah, that's actually perfect. Okay, thank you both for joining me today. I had a freaking ball. I'll talk to you about them soon. Sounds good. And go follow Zach. Zach is hilarious and a wonderful man. And both of you just, you've, you've made my day. I appreciate you taking the time. Talk to you next time. Thanks, Ethan. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive producer is Buffalo Brett Kushner. Because he likes to wear people's skin. Oh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Pod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.